From loosening gun restrictions, to overturning Roe versus Wade, to severely threatening our Miranda rights, the Supreme Court has had a busy summer dismantling decades-old legal precedent. And the news around these decisions can be a lot to process. Crooked Media's Strict Scrutiny is a podcast that covers the United States Supreme Court and the legal culture that surrounds it. Each week, co-hosts and law professors Leah Littman, Kate Shaw, and Melissa Murray, personal heroes of mine, break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country. As we gear up for midterm elections, it's more important than ever to understand the repercussions of these SCOTUS decisions and what we can do to fight back this November. Listen to new episodes of Strict Scrutiny every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. This is something central to a woman's life, to her dignity. It's a decision that she must make for herself. From Kansas, Kentucky, and North Carolina, dedicated women marched. Abortion is fast becoming the new political fault line. Alabama's governor has signed the nation's strictest abortion ban into law. The Human Life Protection Act outlaws the procedure, except when the mother's life is at risk. This bill is not about pro-life or the right to life. This bill is about control. We will not go back. And we, the people of the United States of America, documented or undocumented, are having abortions, legal or not. This court will never stop us. I'm Jamia Wilson. And I'm Kate Kelly. And this is Ordinary Equality. Kate, you know as well as I do, what got us into this whole mess, a piecemeal, confusing patchwork of abortion access, is our Constitution. Or maybe more specifically, the way the Supreme Court decided to interpret it. And let's be real, our Constitution is old. And we're still using it to tell us how to govern our country hundreds of years later. In the U.S., it can feel radical to suggest that that's not a good plan that the Constitution itself is the problem. Which is why this episode, we're looking abroad. What are other countries doing with outdated constitutions? What would it look like to just rewrite it and make abortion access a priority? These questions led me to Chile. I called up one of my good friends from Chile, Belen Saavedra. Yeah, my name is Belen Saavedra. I'm a human rights and constitutional law attorney, and I'm from Chile. To set the stage, there are a few things you need to know about Chile. Chile is a very small and long country in South America, right next to Argentina. We are a deeply conservative country. We're one of the most Catholic countries uh, in South America. And our politics have always been kind of right-wing. Even when the left has been in government, they have taken a really, they would say, center in the U.S., we would say moderate approach. Beyond being politically conservative, the country is also coming out of a period of dictatorship. Democracy is relatively new there. So, like, I was born in January 1990, and the dictatorship ended on March 1990. So, 
it's really recent, recent history, so like human rights are part of our core. Even with a democratic government in place, religion is part of the country's politics. So it doesn't only mean that a lot of people are practicing Catholics and they have a, or they have a Christian faith. Um, it also means that the president goes and pays their respects to high, uh, high people in clergy. Uh, it means that um, they would go to church to ask for permission for some things. It, it also means that when we were actually dealing with abortion rights, when we were trying to pass the bill to decriminalize it in the three legal grounds that it's now legal, um, the church said Congress people that they would be excommunicated if they passed that law. Political conservatism and the power of the Catholic Church combined mean that abortion access was basically non-existent and completely criminalized. So if someone needed an abortion because she was raped or because of incest, because she just needed it for health reasons or because her life was in danger, she couldn't get it. There were no public places that could provide that service. There were not supposed, allegedly, there were not private places where you could get that, but we know that rich people do have access and have always have access for, uh, to abortion. But where there are restrictive abortion laws, there are people on the other side working to increase access and overturn these laws. Belen is one of those people, and so is her friend Lieta Vivaldi. Lieta is a constitutional lawyer and professor at Alberto Hurtado University. She's also the director of ABOFEM, an association of feminist lawyers in Chile. Lieta is 41 now, and she's been fighting for abortion access since she was 16. And I always tell that on the one hand, I have a, I had a grandmother who told me I had an abortion, like very normal. I mean, she told me, ah, when I was young, one has tried to abort your aunt, but finally the midwife wasn't there, so we couldn't, and here she is. So she laughed about it. So it was like a normal conversation. But on the other hand, I saw many of my friends living the drama of aborting or having abortions in, in this climate with like criminalization, etc. My best friend was kicked off from her house by her dad when he realized that he she had an abortion. Through Abofem, Lieta has been involved not only in the legal matters of abortion, but also in organizing and getting resources out to people who need them. There are two branches. On the one hand, feminist movements that are fighting for the decriminalization or for the legalization of abortion. But on the other hand, women or feminist movements that are helping other people to get abortions, to normalize abortion, the social decriminalization of abortion. So I think that we're being very active in those two strategies, I could say, that also they converge. Abofem provides what it calls a feminist approach to law and has been focusing its efforts on decriminalizing abortion. Specifically in Chile, the organization has been working to remove taboos around abortion and elect officials whose policies align with this view. In 2017, the Chilean Senate approved abortion legislation allowing for abortion, but only in very select cases. When a woman's life is in danger, when a fetus is unviable, and when the pregnancy resulted from rape. Then, in 2019, the Chilean government raised the prices for public transportation fares, 
It sounds like a small thing, but it sparked something big. Young people took to the streets. People got really, really upset. 10% of the population, it's like 30 million people in states were suddenly in the streets claiming or reclaiming their dignity. And that's what happened. And what started as a really small um, increase in public transportation became such rage for all of other economic, social, and cultural rights. So people start being like, we need access to healthcare, we need access to public transportation, we need better education, we need free public education, we need quality education, we need abortion rights. And then this mass of people with different agendas and different human rights issues just came up to the streets. Transportation, healthcare, education, and abortion rights. They really asked for it all. These protests, though, were brutal. Police really cracked down. They tear-gassed protesters and 300 people lost their eyesight. Belen, as a constitutional lawyer, was on the front lines. I was part of the demonstrations. Uh, lawyers from everywhere start volunteering because, of course, there was a lot of people detained uh, in those protests. I feel like the world is watching, and, and that's something that people are really taking into account. Uh, I, I also feel like people are really proud of what they built because this is a grassroots movement. It didn't came from power. It's not like politicians suddenly decided that they wanted to give people the possibility of draft, drafting their new constitution. It came from people in the street being mutilated. As a result of the protests, Chileans called for change to what they saw as the root of the problem, the constitution. It was written in 1980, during the Pinochet dictatorship. And most importantly, it was written by the dictatorship. Before this new constitutional draft, Chile had never held a constitutional assembly. Chilean officials saw no other alternative. They put it to a vote. Chilean citizens were asked, should we draft a new constitution? Almost 80% of Chilean voters supported the motion. And in July 2021, the redrafting process began in Chile's capital, Santiago. Oh, yeah, I'm, this is one of my favorite topics as a constitutional law lawyer because it's, it's the dream, right, uh, to be able to help draft your country's new constitution. I get why Belen was so excited. I know, right? Imagine rewriting our constitution. Yeah, I think for me this is so wild, especially to consider in the context of Chile, which is an incredibly religious country. And to go from that to completely rewriting the Constitution with 50% women, with quotas for all other marginalized groups, including indigenous groups and queer people, like to imagine what that would be like in our country <laughs> is both kind of magical and almost impossible to fathom. There are very few people for whom the original constitution works or covers. If you think about translating it into today's terms, if you are a wealthy landowning white male, your personhood was written into and enshrined into that version. And yet 
here we are during a time where the majority of us in this country and increasingly as the years go on, even more of the majority of us will not fit into that narrow, that narrow sense of humanity, that narrow sense of who is a citizen. And so for me, I feel some sadness and grief around the fact that it's hard for me to envisage what that looks like, even though I know it's what's necessary. And I like that idea of visioning what it would actually look like, because when I think of the writing of our Constitution, we know that it happened in Philadelphia. We've seen the paintings or the reenactments of what it was like. It was all men. They were wearing wigs. They were all white. They were landowners. The majority of them were slave owners. And to think about what that painting would look like (laughs) and how different the document would be if 50% of those people were women, if queer people were involved, if indigenous people had been a part of the framing of our laws and our governance from then going forward, like how different it would be. And I think about this restart idea or this going back to the roots and this fundamental fix and just think about how important it is or how much rides on who writes it, you know, not just that it's rewritten, but who writes it, who gets to participate, who gets to actively engage in, in this framing, in this, in this creation of, of nations and this creation of our, you know, our foundational document. But it could also go very, very wrong. <laughs> uh, it could also go south in, in unanticipated ways. And we'll get into that after this quick break. Our listeners know that the attack on abortion and other forms of reproductive care is devastating to so many people in so many ways. Sometimes it's hard to know what you can do to help. Trust me, I get it. But our sponsor, ActBlue, makes it easy to take action. ActBlue's online fundraising platform is seamless and secure, which is why they're trusted by millions of grassroots donors who are driving the change they want to see. At wondermedianetwork.com donate, you can give directly to reproductive justice groups and abortion funds in just a few clicks. So head to wondermedianetwork.com donate to find reproductive justice groups you can support today. That's wondermedianetwork.com donate. When you're drafting a new constitution like this one, you can basically do anything. And that's scary, but also amazing. I mean, and and this is something that I usually teach in class as well. Like, they could have chosen Chile to be a monarchy and just put up laws about how that new king was going to be elected. They could have changed the name of the country. Like, anything was up for grabs. And that's, that's, well, that's a huge responsibility, but that's also, like, the chance to be creative. The vote made it clear that Chileans wanted a new constitution. But before they could decide what was going into it, they had to figure out who was going to write it. Chileans got to vote on that too. In May of 2021, folks picked the members of the assembly via ballot. The assembly was made up of 154 delegates, half women and half men. It included people from all walks of life, politicians, lawyers, scientists, bus drivers, students, teachers, and more. It had a quota for indigenous people. 
It included people with disabilities, queer folks, and the elderly. The idea was that the group of people writing the Constitution needed to be representative of all kinds of Chilean people. Uh, because Latin America has such a rich history of battles between its people and of suffering and of pain and of colonization and systematic inequalities that I didn't want our constitution to just ignore all of that recent history that was exactly what made people want to draft a new constitution. From there, the Constitutional Assembly got to drafting. They presented the completed draft to Chile's president, Gabriel Boric, in July of this year. The new constitution contains a health clause and a sexual and reproductive rights clause. The latter enshrines abortion access. What's so fascinating to me is that the Constitution doesn't just touch on abortion or reproductive rights. It moves to acknowledge and protect the full sexual experience of Chilean citizens. And Belen told us the language it uses to talk about those rights is groundbreaking in the world of legislation. That includes abortion as, as one of the provisions that should be always guaranteed. If a woman or a pregnant person, and, and the, the article also made that distinction uh, between pregnant people and women, which I think it's great because it talks about inclusion. Um, and it also um, enshrines the right to pleasure, for example. And that is a first uh, in the world, which I think it's amazing. Um, so it's pleasure, it's, it's bodily autonomy, including abortion, but also preconception, like the right to choose if you want to have children. Um, it's a really complete article. That would be a first. Like, that complete? Yeah, it would be a first in the world. And, and I cannot be more excited about having helped build that. Pleasure and bodily autonomy in the freaking Constitution. It's wild. I think that lots of things converged in order to the Constitution be being much more progressive than our reality, probably. But it's good. It's a good stuff. And that was a conscious decision. Messaging is a big deal. Abortion is simply a part of normal reproductive life. For Lieta, that example of abortion messaging relates back to the big picture of the new constitution. This is about freedom and accurately conveying what that freedom entails. Currently, the discussion of the new constitution has been more on autonomy and also in substantive equality, material equality. So in which way freedom is a fallacy, is false, if you don't have the social and economic rights in order to be actually free. So that has been very, very present in the discussion. And I think that that's an important point. I mean, privacy or this sphere, sphere of rights are not enough if you are not enabling people to actually be free or have access to this space. And also to think much more about the collective aspect of rights. On September 4th, just a few days after this episode comes out, Chile is going to vote on the Constitution. All citizens of Chile 18 years or older are required to vote. And if it passes, it will be the first constitution to codify abortion in the world. If it passes, how's it looking? Well, polls from late July show a pretty tight vote, skewed slightly towards rejection. There's a margin of about 10 to 12 percentage points, depending on what poll you're looking at. 
The good news is polls are polls. The polls were similarly tight in Kansas, and abortion access got a resounding win there. The bottom line is, this is new territory, and it's honestly surprising that it's even gotten this far, which is something Belen has heard a lot. <laughs> yeah, so people ask me a lot what happened with Chile, and my usual response is that we, we, we got a concussion at some point, because I cannot really come to terms with the complete 180 change that my country did in five years. But I've been trying to come up with a better answer than just a head concussion. It does feel like this country did a 180. It's hard not to think of our own situation here in the U.S. Could we do the same? It's not impossible. Belen gave us two predictions for how it could happen here. One is a huge social uprising, like what happened in Chile. And the second one is that your politicians get a concussion uh, and decide that uh, what's best for a country is to not be governed by ghosts, by people that lived 200 years ago, 400 years ago. Chile is potentially ghost-busting by redrafting its constitution and writing something that was more in line with what its present-day citizens need and want. It took a social movement, it took concentrated protests, and it also took decades of a united feminist movement to move the needle. A lot of the work in Chile has been happening since before the 1950s, pushed forward by the feminist movement, not just in Chile, but across Latin America. It's a really cohesive movement, and it doesn't just mean abortion rights. <laughs> it means ending violence against women. It first started as, let's talk about domestic violence. Uh, let's not make this a private issue. It is a public issue, domestic violence. It then stepped on to criminalizing feminicide, like killing women for being women. And then that became having non-discrimination laws. And then that became sexual and reproductive rights. So I feel like when you see the Women's Day March in any country in Latin America, you're, just, you're not seeing the abortion rights march. You're seeing the feminist movement. And I don't see that still in the U.S. I don't, I, if, if you would ask me, what are the 10 petitions that the feminist movement has in the U.S.? I, I honestly wouldn't know how to answer that question. Quite honestly, like I'm sure that uh, maybe codifying Roe would be one. Maybe I don't know, uh, but but in terms of what you guys would want in, in in terms of gender equity, like I don't know, gender pay gap, more labor, like prenatal and postnatal care. Jesus, there's so many things that a feminist movement could be trying to address. I feel as if. I give a lot of thought to what the things are that make America distinct and the things are that limit us, the themes, the patterns that limit us from being able to make the kinds of transformative shifts that we need to heal this country and the soul of our very sick nation. And One of the things I think we need to talk about is that the individualism, that rugged individualism, that exceptionalism is so deeply ingrained in us and so deeply planted at such an early age that it has reverberations 
in the ways that we show up even when we are in progressive movements, even when we are trying to make change. And what I would like to have more open and nuanced and complex but pointed conversations with folks about is what would it mean for us to actually think about those collective needs as being integral to our own health and freedom that, oh, if they and she don't have what they need, then that is a wound that I'm also carrying. When I think about us writing a new constitution, which actually the far right is very obsessed with a constitutional convention. There are two ways to rewrite the constitution in the United States, both under Article 5. One is a constitutional convention and one is the traditional route. All 27 amendments that we currently have have been passed um, by passing it first in Congress and then uh, ratifying in 38 states. That's the only way that it's ever actually been done. But the far right is like obsessed with this constitutional convention idea. And it's like kind of terrifying <laughs> because aside from just one amendment, you could at a constitutional convention, they could completely rewrite the entire constitution. And given the makeup of the current state legislatures and that 26 states are currently banning abortion entirely, uh, this is not like a very fun idea or prospect. <laughs> Uh, but I do think the other route, the, the changing the Constitution by passing it in Congress and then having it ratified by three-fourths of the states, that is extremely cumbersome. And we, we've done it. We have the Equal Rights Amendment. We have this one piece of the puzzle that we've worked for 100 years. Literally 100 years we have been working to get discrimination on the basis of sex eliminated and to include that as a fundamental human right and a fundamental constitutional right. And we're so close. Like I, I you know, we're, we're not like Chile there, but like and completely rewriting this incredibly new uh, constitution and progressive values and human rights. But we do have this opportunity to make this one small change, which would impact trans rights, which would very clearly and directly impact abortion access nationwide. And so I'm like, we're almost there. Like, why don't more people care about this? Why don't more people get excited about this? Why aren't there people marching in the streets? Um, you know, Jimmy, you and I are <laughs> very engaged and that's how we met. I'm just always flabbergasted that there aren't more people engaged on this issue. And I think about like, what would the far right be doing if they were basically one signature away from changing the constitution? It would be all hands on deck. It would be billions of dollars. It would be every senator camping out in Washington and never leaving until they voted on it. It would be an absolute full court press and they would not accept no for an answer. And I think that's what we need. That's the kind of inspiration I get from Chile is like, we need fundamental change and we will not accept anything less. Next time on Ordinary Equality. I would say, Simon, Simon, they're going to change the law. We have won. And she said, no, Claudine, we have not won. There could be an economic, political, or religious crisis, and all our rights could be jeopardized and taken away from us. And she looked at me, she said to me, Claudine, 
all your life, you're going to have to be very cautious. Ordinary Equality is a Wonder Media Network production. This episode was produced by Alex John Burns and Carmen Borca Carrillo. Our editor is Lindsay Cradwell. Production assistance from Abby Delk. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan. Big thanks to our sponsor, Act Blue. I know listeners of our podcast enjoy this content. And if you want to keep hearing more of it and want to support both Jimmy and I, please leave a review. Simple review, why you like the show, goes a really long way to spreading the word. And it's free.